advantage of the day. Okay. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtis with you, Voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. And this is where we load up the backpack again and get ready to take another climb. This has been fun, though. Yeah. These, this mountain climbing can get uh, <laughs> it can get addictive, really, when you look at the last four years and a climb to two Super Bowl championships and another Super Bowl climb just shy and then to the AFC championship game. But we get ready to fit the backpacks and get going. But before that happened, we had to survive the free agent frenzy, uh, the uh, assimilation, the NFL's version of black, Friday, uh, the Friday before Thanksgiving, where everybody goes nuts shopping. Yeah, and we refresh Twitter over and over and just see all <laughs> the money refresh. being sent refresh. all over uh, the football-watching world. Um, another exciting first week of free agency, and, and the Chiefs were involved in that, and we'll talk about it, but uh, you're so right about how we're starting to climb again now. I think it's important to enjoy the Super Bowl still, even though it was over a month ago, because... That's the whole point of all of this in the end is to win the Super Bowl. And I think this entire offseason, while we're trying to improve and get back there, it's important to reflect on that, celebrate it, remember it, and just think about how special that was. But you're right. It is addictive. We felt this after Super Bowl 54. It's like, all right, we got one. Let's go get another. Well, we got another, and now we want three. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many texts I'll get almost nightly or every other night from family or loved ones or just friends that'll go, hey, guess what's on NFL Network? Oh, it's Super Bowl 57 or, oh, it's Super Bowl 54. It's usually my dad who has watched Super Bowl 57 now, I think, at least two dozen times. Yeah. So he's got everything memorized. But uh, it's fun for the kingdom to relish in the moment, accept it, but move on. And one of the cool things about this franchise, and you know I've sensed this, really, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks when, when the engine got started again and we start the climb, Everybody's ready to do the climb. There's nobody that goes, hey, let's just sit here for like three or four months and enjoy it, and let's watch um, video of the parade. And that's the way Andy Reid's wired, right? And we just and that's the tempo he has set. But this is a franchise from top to bottom and side to side that's ready to do it again. And the culture is so good here right now, and I think the rest of the NFL has finally kind of figured that out. Like yeah. maybe that's a good environment. Maybe that's a good culture. And there's a reason they're winning just beyond having a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame tight end, and maybe the greatest quarterback ever to play in the game. And the team-building aspect of it is fun. It's fun to do this. This is why we play Madden, and you don't just play the games. You also make the free agent moves and the trades and the draft and everything. The team-building is fun, and it's the most fun when you're coming off a Lombardi trophy and you just won the whole thing and you're trying to do it again. I've been thinking a lot about this time last year when we came up just short of going to the Super Bowl for a third straight time. And it was an interesting offseason, right? Traded Tyree Kill away. And that entire offseason, it was about getting better so you could get back to the Super Bowl and win that game. You had to get past the AFC title game, win that game, and get back to the Super Bowl and win it again. And there's a lot of pressure associated with that. The nice thing about this offseason is the Chiefs just won the whole thing, and now it's about getting back. But the pressure, I think, while there's still a lot of pressure to get back there, isn't quite as intense, I think, as it is if you lose the AFC title game. No, but there, and there were a lot of the doubters at this. It was this time a year ago, almost exactly to the day, 
as we are recording this on what? This is the 22nd of March. It's about to the day yeah. uh, that everything was like, oh, my gosh, now what's going to happen? And, and they'll be covered in volcanic ash. <laughs> uh, that we said. Now, people aren't saying that now. No. But they're like, uh, are there any cracks in the cement at all? Uh, and, of course, we've seen our division and the rest of the league be very active in this free agent frenzy, which it's the assimilation of, yes, crazy shopping the Friday before uh, Thanksgiving or the start of the New York Stock Exchange every morning. Uh, that's what it feels like. But here we are, and we have kind of survived this first wave. Things have kind of calmed down a bit. There's still movement, but not like crazy something happening every 10 seconds when you hit the refresh button on Twitter. But that doesn't preclude us from starting this climb by going around the world. And I'm sure yep. you've got some uh, folks that are checking in and planting the kingdom flag, going for a fourth Lombardi trophy uh, for the franchise, which would be the most in the AFC West by any franchise. Did I just say that? <laughs> but anyway, what do you have around the world? Can you believe it still? I no, mean, I can't. <laughs> I mean, it's so cool, though. It's so cool. We're starting the climb again, but it is cool. Like even just four years ago, just trying to get back to the Super Bowl, you know, and now we've got two of these things and we're trying to win another one. But that perspective is important. And, and Otis Taylor just passing. Yeah. It, it took me back in that thought when you mentioned that because uh, his memorial service today, actually, as we record this, but getting Super Bowl four, the first one of the three championships, and Otis made, of course, the decisive play. The 65 toss power trap gets a lot of attention and should, but it's the hitch pattern that he breaks it and goes all the way that says the Chiefs are going to win this. Uh, so we remember Otis and the guys on that Super Bowl four team. But to have a chance to win a fourth Super Bowl as a franchise now puts you in real <laughs> elite company. Like, ah, you're getting not only the climb up every year mountain, but now in that big mountain range of NFL history, you're going to, ooh, that red and gold team's pumped up. Yeah, there's K2, there's Mount Everest. Yeah. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, now, we've got seven people from around the world today for Perfect. seven straight division titles. Yeah. Let's make it eight. Yeah. So we have Carl. Harrison Butker. Yeah, exactly. We have Carl. Uh, he's proudly flying his chief's flag in North Carolina. Uh, Robert wanted to shout out his friends in Townsville, Australia, who are big Chiefs fans. Then sticking in Australia, Sapphire is in Sydney, Australia. Mm. Uh, the Morgan family is checking in from Good Hope, Missouri. We've heard from the Morgan family before. Diogo is in Portugal. We have a listener in Djibouti. This is the first time That's we've our heard from Djibouti. That's our first Djibouti. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Outstanding. Shout out to Djibouti. Yep. Shout out to Djibouti. And then lastly, we have Logan Djibouti. listening in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> not to be not jabroni, Djibouti. So we may have to do we may have to do a uh, on-site DTK in Djibouti. I think we should. We'll get that uh, in the marketing budget. Yeah. Put that in the CapEx budget. Uh, and then watch the red flags go up. Uh, anyway, great to always hear from all of you around the world. Uh, we know the kingdom is growing by the day. And a lot of people love this team. We know that it's a competitive world, and a lot of people don't like this team. I don't have to go through the whole you don't like, you, don't, you can disrespect. But more and more people are claiming the Chiefs as their own. Or even if they have another team, they're going, ah, but I kind of like the Chiefs too. So it's been outstanding to see that. But as Andy Reid says every year, every team has its own personality. And we are in the embryonic stages of that. Yes, when you get to the last couple of weeks of March, it dings the bell and you start the next year. Well, we've started that, and we're going to look at the four free agents that the Chiefs have signed to this point. And if there is a theme of these guys – it would be like the more you can do. There's a multiplicity of talent in every one of these four guys and how they fit in. And so 
just an overall view of these four, first of all, because to me it would be you can see how these guys fit in, and not just if we're going to give the chess analogy, oh, they're a bishop or they're a rook. No, they can be all of those pieces, and they might be a knight and a pawn here and a, even a queen in some instances. Yeah, I'd say all three, without jumping into the, the specifics yet, which we will, have uh, all four, I mean, have three qualities. They're all extremely versatile, which gets to what you were saying. They can all do different things, and we'll explain further here in a moment. They're all very athletic, which seems obvious. They're football players and professional athletes, but not all football players are necessarily very athletic, right? Some are more athletic than others, and all four of these guys appear to be very athletic players. And they're all young. These guys are all 25, 26, 27 years old in the prime or entering the prime of their careers. The Chiefs are not paying for past performance with these guys. They're paying for what they think they can do this season and beyond. So very excited about all four of these guys, and, and they're excited too. It's been fun to see them come in here. Drew Tranquil uh, was at the stadium a few days ago, and his eyes were just all bright looking at his new home, and he was so excited to be out there on the field. So all these guys are excited uh, to be here, and we're excited to have them. We'll get to Drew in a second. Let's start, though, with Juwan Taylor, uh, the offensive tackle who uh, you Kingdom followers know him well. The Chiefs saw the Jaguars twice this year in the regular season in Week 10 and then, of course, in the divisional playoff game. Juwan's an interesting guy when you look, and, it, and this goes back to your versatility and athleticism. Uh, I would say this is one of the more athletic tackles uh, in the National Football League. If you study his history, remember when he came out of the University of Florida, he was a second-round draft pick in the 2019 draft. He was a freshman All-American at UF, so he was thrust right into it right away. And the fact that the Jags did the same thing with him in his first year in the league in 2019, 66 games, 66 starts. The intriguing thing about Jawan Taylor is the fact that, ooh, is he a left tackle? Because we'll get to the guys that the Chiefs have seen move on to other teams, and that, of course, it means Orlando Brown Jr. But for Jawan Taylor, the intrigue here is his athleticism and the fact that he has been durable, reliable, and there is an upside to him considering his age. Yeah, absolutely. So he's 25 years old. He's entering the prime of his career. As you said, he started 66 consecutive games for the Jacks. He earned the right tackle job in training camp four years ago in Jacksonville and never rel relinquished it. He's been their starter at right tackle ever since then. And that durability is important because if you're going to pay a guy a lot of money to be one of your bookend tackles, you want to have the confidence that he can be out there for 17 games a season. And we've seen that so far uh, from Juwan Taylor, which is great news. And he was really good last season. He's coming off a career year. He only allowed 16 pressures last year in 17 games. That was the fewest pressures allowed among all tackles to log at least 1,000 snaps. And he also had the third lowest pressure rate allowed among all tackles last year. Only Tristan Wirfs and Lane Johnson were better. Now, it's important to note that the Jags, their offense is a bit different than the Chiefs. Trevor Lawrence got rid of the football super quick last year. Yep. So that helps an offensive line. But still, this is impressive stuff, and it's indicative of an ascending player who the Chiefs obviously believe in and are excited to get in their building and with their coaching staff. His reach, too, if you look at his reach, because uh, wingspan, to me, is one of the more underrated um, measurables in any sport. Okay, we see it even affect the NCAA tournament. You can have a 6'2 player that has a 7-foot wingspan. Um, but in the case here of Jawan Taylor, 35 and, and 1 8 inch reach uh, tells you that he has tackle reach. The other thing is, and you mentioned the, the uh, lack of pressures allowed in 2022, 
but his athleticism in the fact that, okay, the ball's not coming out from Patrick necessarily in 2.3 seconds like it did with the adjustment that Doug Peterson made to Trevor Lawrence's life. But his athleticism lends you to believe that he can maintain, shift his feet, and stay with a block that is required to play with Patrick Mahomes. You can go back and look. The end of the Cincinnati regular season game. Uh, and Orlando Brown Jr. had a great end of the year, but a tackle must adjust, adjust, and adjust again. Both hand placement, body placement, and foot placement. And the thing that excites me about Jawan Taylor of saying, well, hey, the ball's not coming out as fast, is his ability, and we'll see this go or see this transpire, his ability to adjust. And I think his footwork would lend itself to that. I totally agree. And his athleticism in space is pretty obvious, particularly in pass protection. Now, in the run game, there's some room for growth there. But he's been very good in terms of pass protection during his career. The Chiefs throw the ball a whole lot. And as we've seen, with this current iteration of the Chiefs offense and how they've adjusted and gotten better against certain schemes, truthfully, the only way to slow them down is to get pressure with four. Now, so many teams have two or three great edge rushers now, so that's possible for these teams, and it puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line for the Chiefs, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on Jawan Taylor, but clearly this front office believes in him, and they think he can be the guy who can prevent some of these great edge rushers from getting to Patrick Mahomes' blindside. Yeah, and, and the question here is people ask, oh, is he a left tackle? He's only played right tackle. He had a couple starts at Florida at left tackle, um, but you got to kind of dig back and find those. In the and I've heard this analogy for years is that it's like, okay, try to eat peas. If you're eating peas with a fork, try to eat it with your – if you're right-handed, try to use your left hand. And that it's not easy necessarily to make the right tackle, left tackle switch. I'll let you search – use any search engine you want and look at Jeff Schwartz's description of what it's like, Mitchell Schwartz's brother, of what it's like to go to the right side to the left side. And it's a bodily function you need for hygiene, but I'm not going to go into any more than that, (laughs) okay? But the point here is, and this is something you and I will watch uh, and watch very closely, even starting with the very first off-season workouts, is this possible transition of Juwan Taylor uh, with his hands, footwork, can he be a left tackle? And one thing that Brett Veach talks about all the time, and that is so special and surprisingly unique about this front office, is a lot of general managers and front office staffs, they build a team and give it to the coaching staff and say, here's your team. The Chiefs don't do that. They work hand-in-hand together. Uh, I don't think any decision gets made in the front office without them asking the coaches, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts on this? Now, they, they do their independent study and research, but they come together and work together as a team. And I'm certain that Brett Veach in the front office talked to Andy Heck, the Chiefs offensive line coach, and said, what do you think about this? And clearly the Chiefs making the move shows that he's on board. So that's why I have confidence in it. Yeah, and I love what this front office does too, because the thing with Brett is that they don't like, not what is he right now, but what can he be, yeah. which is a requirement in the NFL. And the other thing about this, too, I think in the evaluation of making this move for Jawan Taylor is not just Andy Heck, but the other Andy. Don't forget Andy Reid was an offensive lineman. He is still a connoisseur of offensive linemen. And if in another life he would be comfortable being the best offensive line coach in the NFL. So if Andy – and Andy, he, he'll maybe watch more video than anybody in evaluating. And if so, if he sees, hey, this is where Juwan Taylor can go, then you know with Andy Heck and Andy Reid and Brett Veach and his staff weighing in, I'm good with that. 
Yeah, and, so. and Jawan's confident in himself. Yeah. That was clear yeah. in his press conference uh, last week. He said it, he's ready to play anywhere the Chiefs want him to play. He's ready for the challenge of left tackle if that's where he's going to play. But uh, let's say he is the left tackle and there's injuries and he needs to move somewhere else. He said he's willing to go wherever he wants. He just wants to win, and that's yeah. the beauty of this team right now is guys come here because they want to win, and that's what we're going to do here with Jawan Taylor. Goes back to the culture, goes back to the infrastructure. And I like what he said, too, about his father uh, because there's some depth. You can tell with Juwan, and I'm looking forward to getting to know him better, there's some depth to Juwan, like doing what he's doing but doing it for maybe the right reasons, right? Yeah. All right, let's get into the second one. And Charles Amenehu, who uh, went to the University of Texas, big-time player there, and then a Houston Texan. Now, what was the first piece of video that I want to share that, that when I heard Charles Amenehu, and I saw him when we played the 49ers this year in 2022 in my prep, I go through every guy on the opposing team throughout the week and, and review them and look at them and study them. And like, oh, this is the guy. Because there is one piece of video like a horror flick uh, <laughs> that going back to 2019 and Charles Amenehu's rookie season where he almost – ruined any kind of run to Super Bowl 54 in October of that year because he obliterates Patrick Mahomes as a Houston Texan right at the end of the half, <laughs> which led to a Houston Texan victory at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium with a flurry of bad things that happened at the end of the first half, and Amenahue was leading the way. Mitch comes running into my office. <laughs> the news was like five minutes old, and he's like, pull up the Chiefs-Texans game in 2019 in the regular season. And I'm like, why? I don't want to watch that game. I have bad memories from that game. And we find the play at the end of the half when Aminahue just swallows up Patrick Mahomes. And that clip, while it's against our guy in this circumstance and we don't like that, shows why this guy is going to be so valuable for this team. Because he's a heck of a pass rusher, but not just from the edge spot. Because I believe on that one, was he coming off the edge or was he inside? Inside. See, and, the, and that's the point. Yep. Steve Spagnuolo loves moving guys all over the defensive line. And as we'll talk about, Charles Amenehu has a ton of versatility because of his unique size where he can get after the passer from any spot on the defensive line. Yeah, and San Francisco thought enough about him to make a midseason trade in 2021 with Houston to pick him up. And keep in mind, look where San Francisco was uh, at the time and what they were trying to do to get back to the Super Bowl and, and try to replace all those first-round picks they had. And so that's the kind of respect they give to Charles Amenahue. 61 games, 10 starts. Now, don't be tricked by that because when you look at the productivity of Charles Amenahue, what he's got done and the time he's been given on the field is what pops off the page. And I, I like what you say about the versatility, too, because in studying his video, inside, outside, starts outside, goes inside, starts inside, goes outside, shows up on the right side, shows up on the left side. Last year, only Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49er defensive line had more snaps than our guy Charles Amenehu, who had 573 snaps. So don't be tricked by the, oh, he only had 10 career starts. Because Nick Bosa had 746 snaps. Next on the list was Charles Amenahue. Outside of, like, quarterback, the starts statistic is not real in football. Because, I mean, the guy can come in on one snap, depending on the formation, to start the game and then come out and not play any more snaps, and he got to start. And vice versa, Charles Amenahue can come in for 80% of the snaps in a game, but because he wasn't in on the first one, it doesn't count. That doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. Uh, 
he was awesome uh, last season. He had the second most pressures on the Niners behind only Nick Bosa. He had 54 pressures last season. For context, that would have ranked second on the Chiefs behind only Chris Jones, who had 70. So think about that. They're adding 54 pressures to this defense. Now, did he benefit from having Nick Bosa on that defensive line? Sure, but now he benefits having Chris Jones on his defensive line. So really good season last year and just 25 years old. So also an ascending player. It seems like he's been around a long time. <laughs> and we've talked about this versatility. The guy is six foot five, 280 pounds with 36-inch arms. He would have had the second longest reach of any edge player at the combine this year. So this is a, a physical freak in so many ways. He's extremely athletic, uh, and the Niners used him all over the place last year. Uh, he was lined up as an outside edge rusher for 310 snaps, over the tackle uh, for 127 snaps, and he was an interior rusher for 133 snaps. I suspect he'll be used mostly as an edge in Kansas City, but the point is he can go anywhere. And look at the AFC title game last year. Chris Jones and Carlos Dunlap swapped spots. On their own. Well, Chris said, I'm swapping spots. <laughs> yeah. And Lowe said, okay, I'll go inside. Didn't like it, but they did it on their own. But they, it worked. It ends up being the big sack of the game. Exactly. That identity. helps win the game for the Chiefs. Yeah. And uh, you can only do that if you have the size and the positional versatility to do so. And this guy just adds into that mix. Yeah, this is music to Spag's ears. He loved this. I mean, Mike Dana, we, we underrated what Mike Dana's year was in 2022. And, oh, he's lined up inside. Oh, he makes a play or leads to somebody else to make a play. Uh, the productivity of Menahue uh, in what he has been given the opportunity to do on the field, how he's the productivity. Eight playoff games. He's got three and a half sacks in eight playoff games. Okay, and you look at uh, eight quarterback hits in those eight playoff games. Uh, he's had 41 quarterback hits in 61 games. So it tells you that when I'm any who gets on the field, things can happen, especially if you can move him around. So this is a this is a piece uh, for Spags and Joe Cullen that they're <laughs> like rubbing their hands going, I'm glad he's here. And he's also durable. He's played in 61 of 67 possible games in his career. So once again, getting a young guy, just 25 years old, a durable player, and a versatile player, and a super athletic player who's going to help this team win some games on defense. I just want to see the first time when Patrick sees him in the hallway and it's a minute here going, do you remember that time back in 2019 in October? <laughs> if you want to have a sleepless night, just <laughs> what, find that play, and you'll go, oh, my gosh, well, that was so close to being a really bad thing. It was a bad thing as it was. Yeah. All right, let's jump into where we go next. Let's go to Drew Tranquil, yeah. um, the former Charger, uh, Notre Dame guy, um, as I texted you, um, the minutes that we got the word that, hey, Drew Tranquil's a chief now, I said a worthy opponent and an even better teammate. The fact that you look at what he had a career year, uh, he had 100 tackles, five sacks, um, interception, four passes defensed, eight quarterback hurries. Uh, this is a guy that has played uh, a ton of snaps and uh, became a force, I think, for the Chargers because, again, in my study of the opponent, I'm like, okay, this guy is a guy you have to account for. First of all, I love when players come from other AFC West teams <laughs> and they join us, yeah. you know? And you got to think the Chargers fan base is like, you went where? <laughs> well, Twitter Twitter kind of wasn't kind to him. Yeah. They didn't like it. Yeah, but so. we're embracing him with yeah. open arms. He's one of those players that, particularly last season, because last season was kind of his breakout year, when we play against them, I'd watch Drew Tranquil and think to myself, that's a really good player who can do a lot of different things, and that's what we're getting here. First of all, the nice thing about this is 
this was not like a glaring area of need for the Chiefs. Like we have to add a linebacker who can come in and, and be kind of a coverage guy but do a little bit of everything. This is an addition where this defense just got way deeper and it got better because we can rotate guys in who there's no drop-off. They're all really good players, and that's what Drew Tranquil is. Uh, he ranked 12th in the NFL in total tackles last season. He had 10 tackles for loss. But it's not just the tackles because that can be kind of a misleading stat. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He's a really good coverage linebacker, which is so important in the NFL nowadays. He had the seventh-highest pro football-focused coverage grade among all linebackers with at least 900 snaps. But he's also an effective blitzer. No, Spags is going to use him as a blitzer in this defense. He had 15 pressures. You mentioned the five sacks on 70 pass rush snaps last year. And I also kind of see him as a, a hybrid linebacker safety kind of player who can do a little bit of everything. Maybe not quite like Dan Sorensen, because Dan Sorensen was a pure safety, but kind of in that vein where they can cover, they can do a lot of different things. And he was a safety early in his career at Notre Dame. So he's been a guy in the secondary before and kind of converted to linebacker. So I'm super fired up about Drew Tranquil. And just like the other guys, he's just 27 years old, so an ascending player. Yeah, missed uh, 2021. He went on injured reserve. He had an ankle injury. But if you look at the two years wrapped around that, you're looking at 1,500 defensive snaps. But here's another part of your versatility uh, in your analysis of, and I agree with it, with Drew Tranquil, 256 special team snaps. So this not only becomes a guy who's, oh, he's a safety. Oh, he's a linebacker. He's a weak side linebacker. He's a guy that can turn his hips and cover. He's also a guy that Dave Tobe and Andy Hill go, oh, I can use him. So I think you're... Uh, Dirty Dan analogy is a good one. Not just that he wears 49 and kind of <laughs> looks like him, but there's some similarities there to Dan in his prime and Drew Tranquil because he's just hitting his prime. Uh, but he also can be a guy that can have big impact and be a four-core special teams guy as well as a rotational piece on defense. And think how Spags likes to use three safeties, sometimes four safeties on the field. I think Tranquil might be able to fit into that mold of he can be one of those guys – on the field and I, I don't think at any point he's a liability on the field because he can do just a, li a little bit of everything he can be a coverage guy but he can also uh, crash the line of scrimmage on a blitz so really excited for Drew Tranquil and as I mentioned at the top he was here on Tuesday and just had a gigantic smile on his face <laughs> the entire time he's so excited to be a chief and I love when guys come from other teams particularly our rivals and they're so excited to be here. So our final free agent we're going to discuss on this edition of Starting the Climb again uh, is a guy that, not a divisional rival, but he's showed up on our radar, especially in Super Bowl 55, and we played him this year in the regular season as well, uh, and that is Mike Edwards, the safety of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Remember him coming out of Kentucky, if you remember another second-round draft pick, uh, coming out of Kentucky, and a very effective player. Uh, 58 games. Again, 23 starts, but rotated in when they had different groups because they would do something similar with a three-safety look or Mike would be a part of their five and DB package uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but this is a guy, and I think second-round pick, he was a third-round pick with Kentucky, but seven interceptions, three pick sixes, three pick sixes, including two uh, in a game against New Orleans where, or two against Atlanta. So, uh, again, against divisional opponents, three pick sixes, but – I'm excited for Mike Edwards again because this is going to sound like a uh, broken uh, or listening to the same tape over and over is the fact that he has versatility. So he's a he's got enough girth 
to play the run like we see in safeties, but he also has those ball skills who can make an explosive play. So think of Nick Bolton's um, scoop and score in Super Bowl 57 or his scoop and score against the Broncos in 2021 or the pick sixes uh, that we have seen from the Chiefs defense in the past. This is a guy that can give you an explosive play. He fits in with Spags along with Tranquil and Amenahue. Those three pick sixes are the most for any player in the NFL since 2020. That's amazing. And that's an innate skill that you can't quite quantify. You can count the pick sixes. But when guys have ball skills like that, that makes them a little bit different. Not every defensive back has ball skills where they can make a play on the football and then return it for a touchdown. And this guy certainly has that. It's not just touchdowns either. He has at least two interceptions uh, in each of the last three years. Uh, Started 12 games last season. That was a career high. Had 82 tackles, two picks, and a sack. Mentioned he's a ball hawk. Now, he was primarily a free safety last yeah. year, uh, so a safety playing kind of center field. I think like Juan Thornhill uh, for the Chiefs last year with 476 snaps. But to your point, also had 237 snaps in the box as a safety near the line of scrimmage and 108 snaps covering the slot. So he can do a little bit of everything. And, again, Spags had to feel like it was Christmas morning with these <laughs> defensive players because they're not just – penciled in hey this is your role this is what you do nothing really else like these guys all can do a whole bunch of stuff and it's at every level of the defense and what this does adding all these guys is it gives the Chiefs a lot of versatility in the draft where they don't have to say we badly need blank no they have guys that can do all these things so in the draft you can truly try to take the best player available and not reach at a certain position that's what I've loved about these free agent additions, and Mike Edwards certainly fits into that. And again, just 26 years old. So think about your childhood and looking under the tree during the holidays thinking, can I open just one gift uh, today, like two days ahead of when everybody's going to do it? And you think, what's under the tree? What's a-? And then you open it and you see the what's new. And that's what we've given you, what's new. But then you go upstairs to your room and you're going, oh, wait a minute. I still have these cool toys. <laughs> uh, and... We're going to go on these quickly, but the, the re-signs can really kind of fly under the radar here. Uh, and there are a couple that I want to mention here, actually three. Uh, but Nick Allegretti is one on the offensive line. Easy to overlook that re-sign, if you will. The fact that he's basically the sixth man, uh, not just a basketball analogy, but what he has provided on the offensive line. We know about big man touchdown against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs in 2021, but this is a guy that can play guard. He can play tackle over tackle when the Chiefs go unbalanced with a six-man front. Nick Allegretti uh, is a good reset. Total Swiss Army knife for this offense. And a long NFL season, you're probably going to lose a guy here or there. Having Nick Allegretti instills confidence that there's not going to be a drop-off. And Whenever uh, Joe Tooney was banged up this season, I always had confidence in Nick Allegretti knowing he could go out there and give the Chiefs some good snaps. And having him back is a big deal because you don't want to have a great starting five and then nobody else. You want to have a sixth guy that can do a little bit of everything, and that's Nick Allegretti. Yeah, and you look at in his 12 starts, he's 11-1 and one as a starter. Pretty good. Yeah. So we'll throw that in there. Uh, but the fact that Nick is, is a big part of this team. All right, the other guy that's really taken for granted and then does the dirty work, and I was really excited to see him resign because I wasn't sure it was going to happen, and that's Derek Nottie on the defensive line. Uh, and I'll throw Turk Wharton in this because Turk Wharton was re-signed coming off an ACL injury to get Turk and Derek back. Uh, but Derek does the dirty work. When I review video of a game, I'll go, man, he just, you know, whether it's two-gap or whatever he's asked to do on the defensive line, 
Derek Nadi makes some plays. And um, think about his sack in the playoffs, right? Uh, I think it was against Jacksonville, I believe, in the playoffs. Um, and the fact that 338 plays last year, he's, he's just more valuable than I think – it's just easy to take him for granted. And we know Turk Wharton can make crazy athletic plays like he made against the Commanders in 2021. <laughs> yeah, starting with Nadi, so durable. You can always rely on him being out there, which is so important and honestly an overlooked aspect of uh, playing on the defensive line. And he plays a position, like you said, that doesn't get a lot of glory or fanfare. It's nose tackle. Your job is to occupy space, it's to get push, it's to open up opportunities for other players, and it's to stop the run. And uh, Derek has been really good at that uh, throughout his career in Kansas City. He's really, really good at it in 2020 uh, and still a young player. Um, looking forward to seeing him uh, and do, see what he can do this season uh, with another year with the Chiefs. Yeah, and there's a list of guys here that they are no longer Chiefs. Um, we have eight here now that we can just list. We'll kind of go through this a little bit. But uh, McCall Hardman, uh, now a New York Jet on a one-year deal. Um, but then Orlando Brown Jr. has moved on, of course, to Cincinnati. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is a New England Patriot. Andrew Wiley is a Washington Commander. Colin Saunders is a New Orleans Saint. Michael Burton is a Denver Bronco. Juan Thornhill goes to Cleveland after four years here in Kansas City. And then Ronald Jones Jr. is now a Dallas Cowboy. But for all these guys, you wish them the best. Um, in, in all these cases, they're a Super Bowl champion, right? We'll see them at a reunion and give them a hug. Um, but it's just one of the realities of the National Football League. Nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same. And the fact that the Chiefs are char- starting this climb all over, they'll start to the climb with some different folks making the climb. Yeah, it's tough, frankly, because you and I have a chance to get to know these people. Uh, we're on buses and plane rides with them. We see them in uh, the hotel. Uh, we interview them. We do all kinds of stuff, and we get to know them as people. Uh, and I'm so happy for all of them that have found big contracts elsewhere and are continuing uh, their careers. I'm legitimately happy for them and, and wish them all the best moving forward. And you're right. It's even a bit more special when it's coming off a season like the Chiefs had, where these guys are forever Super Bowl champions. And the way I look at it, they're going to go other places and uh, win games elsewhere and and do whatever, but they're forever Chiefs in my mind because whenever you look back at the Super Bowl 57 champion Kansas City Chiefs, each of these guys contributed. Each of these guys had a role to play uh, in a season that ended up being a world championship caliber season. So we appreciate all those guys. We understand the nature of the business. Nothing is ever the same in the NFL, like you said, but uh, wishing those guys all the best, and, and thank you for your contributions bringing us home a Lombardi trophy. Yeah, and, and I love what you said. We get to know these guys personally, and it, so it hurts when they leave. Uh, we know it's part of the business, uh, but I don't ever want to change that. I don't want to change, like, investing in guys, listening to them in conversations, finding out their stories yeah. uh, that actually help others when they hear those stories. Uh, you think of an Isaiah Pacheco now uh, and how that can be a um, you know inspiration to others. Uh, so there's Colin Saunders is a great dude. Uh, I loved his social post, you know, basically saying goodbye. But I know his family, know his little kids, know he's a he's an awesome dad. Uh, then you think of Juan Thornhill, who I saw in the locker at Super Bowl 54. He was injured. Remember, I've said this story before. Everybody's celebrating, right? And and uh, he's just sitting over there, and he was he was happy. But he goes, I hope I get another chance to win one, and I'm a part of it. Well, he did. Yeah, he did. He did. He did, <laughs> and it was great. So Cleveland Browns, you got a good one in one Thornhill, but – these guys are all champions, as you mentioned, and we wish you all the best. But hopefully we've given you an idea of the reality of the National Football League. And the reality is there's another hill to climb. So Chiefs Kingdom, 
Load up your backpack and lace up the boots. Matt, join Matt and me on the next climb. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.